You hear all the bull about diet and exercise. Carbs are evil. Do more cardio. Never eat bread or cookies again. Just do a juice cleanse. We get it. We fell for all of the BS too. It's time to go right to the source with the truth about how to live a healthy, sustainable lifestyle. I am Liz. And I'm Becca. We are your nutrition educators and this is The Food Code. All right. Welcome to The Food Code. It is Wednesday. Also, if you have not, please subscribe to The Food Code. If you listen to it a lot, if you get value out of it, please give us a review. It means so much and it helps us with rankings, which helps The Food Code podcast get seen more. And I think right now, Apple has changed some things with their podcast. I don't know if this is going on for anybody else but me, but when I go to listen to a podcast on my podcast app, if I close it out, like if I go to the gym and I stop it and then I come mm-hmm. back to it, it's gone, which is very frustrating. So you might mm-hmm. have to dig around a little bit to the subscribe, uh, to find that subscribe button. But yeah. we are on all platforms. We are on yep. Spotify. We are on Pandora. We are on Alexa. We are, we're on all of the platforms. Um, but yes, what helps us reach others is you sharing, you know, take a picture of it, screenshot it, and post it on your social media, send to a friend, you can send links directly to your friends. Um, There's so many different topics that we've covered in terms of autoimmunity, gut health, meal prepping, like discipline, motivation, like all of these different topics that we've covered in the past that if there is something that you are searching for, you can go back to the other episodes. Um, And if you're on a computer, the easiest thing to do when someone asks me for a specific topic, what I'll do is I'll just pull up my... um, Apple podcast app on my computer. I search the food code and then I would put pregnancy or postpartum Mm -hmm. and it'll pull that specific episode up. So that's a lot easier if you're wanting to find like a specific topic as well. Yeah. So today we are talking about cholesterol and statins. Um, So this, we're going to do our very best to keep this brief, Um, but we need to understand some stuff because unfortunately, um, big pharma has, you know, a couple of different motives, I think sometimes. Um, And Liz and I have been very clear. We have very strong stances on, you know, going on medications, lots of medications, the uh, benefits of medications versus the cons. And at the end of the day, we are not medical doctors. We are not telling you to do anything one way or the other. We want you to have the information though. And so we share the research, we share the data, we do a ton of research going into these podcasts to prepare them. So everything that we are talking about is backed. Um, we just want to give information. And so please take this with what you may. We are not saying to go off statins if you are on them. We are not saying that they are useless, but please just listen with an open mind. Um, so just a little fun fact that I actually read the other day that was very interesting. For every $1 big pharma companies spend on research, there's about $19 spent on advertising. And we are one of the few countries that can advertise medicine. Other countries yep. do not advertise nope. medicine. Yeah. So it's it's kind of scary when you really dig into the business of big pharma. Um, and How it originated. Yeah. Like I, this is something else that I was reading. Um, so like medical universities have become kind of a hub for implementing drugs. And they're, they didn't used to be this way. Um, it, it is a big responsibility of doctors to push medications, vaccinations. They get bonuses for getting a certain percentage of their population vaccinated like there are there are doctors that can lose their licenses if they are not getting certain amounts of people vaccinated or prescribing a certain amount of medications and so 
we need to understand that like, although yes, medicine is extremely important and I will never argue that it is also a business. Like Mm -hmm. we are by no means saying that drugs are wrong and should never be implemented. But what it needs to be stated is that they are not always necessary in our opinions and they aren't even always that helpful. So we've talked a bit before on here about birth control and antidepressants and acid blockers and other highly used drug groups. Um, But we wanted to talk through statins because as of 2016, Statins was, you know, the global market for statins was about $16 billion and approximately one in five adults are on statins. That is insane. Mm -hmm. Like we need, at the end of the day, they have changed parameters of what gets deemed like necessary to be on drugs. And they've actually made, made it smaller and smaller to where now more and more people are on them Mm -hmm. to get the drug companies more money. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And, you know, just while we're on the topic of this, like, I take a medicine. I take a T4, T3. Somebody asked me the other day on Instagram if I would take Synthroid for Hashimoto's. And I responded to them, no, I take a T4, T3 combo because usually you're only on a T4 supplement Mm -hmm. and that's problematic for people. Um, But... When it comes to statins, there's some things that we need to understand um, and in terms of just like kind of the claims behind statin drugs. So yes, they have definitely been helpful for lowering the risk of CBD and vascular deaths by lowering total cholesterol and are bad, which we're going to talk a little bit more about, um, LDL, low density lipoprotein cholesterol. But the problem here is that there are two types of bad LDL. So there is a small damaging particle and then there is a large flood non-damaging particle type. And statins, the medication that is prescribed to lower LDL, only impact that large non-threatening particle type. So in essence, they're pretty much ineffective at protecting us against what is actually damaging about bad cholesterol. But we're going to talk more of that in a second. So the reason why they claim, they make these claims is because your small particle and your large particle, they also have different ratios here. So if they can bring that large particle number down, it looks on paper or on lab work like you have lowered your total LDL, which you have, but you have not targeted and lowered the LDL particle that actually matters. And so that's what we wanted to bring the education around today. Yeah. So we want to talk first around like, what is cholesterol? Because cholesterol gets such a bad rep. Like, Cholesterol is all all bad. I can't eat egg yolks. Oh my oh my gosh! If you guys never ever talk to me about how you shouldn't eat eggs because your cholesterol is high, I will not be nice anymore. It is not it is not an option, especially when I'm pregnant. You're a feisty when you're pregnant. <laughs> She's gotten more feisty in the last couple weeks. I would say even the last week. <laughs> cholesterol is a very misunderstood topic, and it frustrates me. So we want you to understand kind of what's going on in our bodies when we see high cholesterol. And also when we see low cholesterol, because that mm. is not necessarily, that, that, that's a problem too. So cholesterol is essentially like a waxy substance related to fat, but it is not fat itself. So from the diet, it comes from dietary fats, but we also produce it in our bodies. And that shows us it's very important. You guys, our bodies are brilliant. They are mm-hmm. so complex in nature. They function so amazingly. If they are making something, it is because our body needs it. And so we get it from our diets from animal sources, mainly there's actually no cholesterol that comes from plant foods, believe it or not. Um, so there's confusion here. If there's saturated fat, that doesn't necessarily mean that there's cholesterol because like, for example, coconut oil is a saturated fat. Mm-hmm. It doesn't contain cholesterol though. And so we get it mainly from eggs, dairy, animal products. So it really only impacts about 10 to 20% of our diet. The majority 
of what your cholesterol numbers on blood work show is what your body creates. Yes. And therefore, hopefully now you can understand just how important cholesterol is in the body because your body is creating 80 to 90% of it. So what is controlling our levels of cholesterol? Um, What is our body making? And that's what we want to kind of talk about and help you understand where cholesterol is made. So the majority of cholesterol is made in your liver um, and we can synthesize it in the gonads, which is the testes and the ovaries, because we need it to produce sex hormones because sex hormones are built from cholesterol. So the body produces cholesterol to send it to different places, essentially where there is stiffening. Okay. So within the body, cholesterol basically is kind of like the ambulance of your body's problem. So it can be a good indicator of inflammation and kind of give you Mm -hmm. a good understanding of like what is going on internally. But the most common one that we'll think about here is the stiffening of arteries or maybe of the wall that is too thin of the artery. Okay. So there can be kind of some issue with the structure. Cholesterol gets sent out to put a patch on it. So this is where we kind of like to give the example here of your LDL and your HDL being like an ambulance, okay? Because your body is really, really smart. And so what it's going to do is it realizes that when the arteries are brittle or they look like they're getting little holes in them, cholesterol is going to go out and help them. That ambulance is going to leave the station and go out and repair that patch. But there is not good and bad cholesterol. We have to understand like the different types here um, that are able to attach to protein proteins in the body. So good cholesterol we know is considered your HDL, your high density lipoprotein. That is a fat carrying protein. Then the bad cholesterol that is considered to be bad is your LDL that we've been talking about, this low density lipoprotein. So again, how we can kind of think about this is your LDL is that ambulance of cholesterol that goes out to fix a problem in the body. This could be inflammation. It can be stress. It can be you know an issue with the arteries like we talked about imbalance of hormones, a variety of reasons. So the cholesterol, the LDL gets sent out. It leaves the station. Think of it that way. L leaving, leaving the station to go out and fix the problem. And then it's going to get recycled. And the high density is what carries that cholesterol back to the liver to be recycled. So LDL represents how much is leaving to go out and help. This is a good indication of, again, like I said, how much inflammation is going on in the body or issues that we have underlying. And then the HDL is how much is coming home to the liver when the problem has been fixed and you know it's going to head back to the station. So hopefully that gives you kind of a good analogy here to understand the difference between LDL and HDL. Yeah. So proteins are the the proteins aren't good or bad. They just give us information. They give us information of what's going on within the body. Basically, the quote unquote bad cholesterol that we see that's like, this is a problem. Yes, it's indicating there is a problem. But yet this is your body's way of saying, this is what I'm doing to try to solve the problem. Mm -hmm. And so when we see these really high LDL numbers and these really low HDL numbers, that basically means like there's a problem that's not being resolved and cholesterol keeps getting pumped out to try to account for it. So we mentioned that the LDL cholesterol goes out to help issues in the body. So what kind of things cause LDL to be high? Like Liz was saying, inflammation is really the number one. And inflammation can be a number of things. But the largest reason that we see is blood sugar dysregulation, okay? In the case of our blood vessels, this is kind of how you think about it. If you have extra blood sugar in the system, aka blood glucose is high, and that connects with these proteins, it causes stiffening. 
And this often is what causes the stiffening of the blood vessels. You want the like soft, flexible blood vessels. You do not want the hard, brittle, stick one, stiff ones, okay? We are not saying that high cholesterol is the issue though. What we see is high cholesterol or problem- problematic cholesterol is different in conventional medicine too. So like what we consider to be a problem is actually, in my opinion, a little bit higher than what conventional medicine sees. Um, And you can actually be relatively healthy, even with a slightly high total cholesterol number. We don't want physical blockages. I'm not saying that like, it's totally fine that you have high cholesterol. That's not, that's not what we're saying. <laughs> what we're saying though is that the high cholesterol isn't necessarily the problem. It's responding to a problem and then in turn can create more problems. And so we need to understand what are the main drivers of what's starting the problem, typically blood, blood sugar issues. And so I think that there, yes, there's absolutely an upper limit that needs to be addressed when cholesterol gets to that point. And there's also a lower limit. Like mm-hmm. we need a balance of those two for women who are under 60, and this is according to literature, this is according to research, 240 is kind of like the upper limit. So before menopause, before those things, that is where seems to be like things seem to be totally fine until we reach about that point. The lower limit is about 170. Because if we get below that, we see a lot of issues with mood disorders, depression, anxiety, because like we talked about, cholesterol helps create hormones. When we have a lack of cholesterol, typically we see a lack of hormone balance and in turn mood issues. For women in their 60s and over, total cholesterol can even go higher post-menopause, upwards of like be close to 300 and have it actually be beneficial and protective for the body. Because if you think about it, when we get older, Beyond menopause, we do not have the same levels of hormones. And so a high cholesterol can actually be protective to help produce and create normal levels for the body. Yeah. And here's where like the discrepancy lies, because when we look at some of the research, like women have not really been studied and women, obviously we've talked about many times, like we go through different hormonal shifts and transitions. And so obviously that post-menopause stage looks much different Mm -hmm. than the pre or perimenopause stage. And drug trials have a long history of underrepresenting women as participants. We know that, especially pregnant women, it's not safe to, you know, put them into clinical trials here. Um, And statins, are no exception. Even as of 2017, a review paper admitted that up-to-date evidence shows that statins have not been adequately tested in women, especially in primary prevention trials. As of 2016, women comprise less than a fourth of all statin trial participants. It's so frustrating. It's just a quarter. Yeah. Like they're not studied on women. So they just basically, and we've, we've talked about this before, they just apply to women based off of what they find in men. We are not men. We function very differently than men Mm -hmm. and in turn should not just be blanketed in the same like human category. (laughs) Well, and as we're going to talk about in a few minutes, like men are at more of a risk for high cholesterol than women, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we're putting this information out there to sell more drugs, but we're not actually portraying what the actual actual data shows with the proper balance of male to female. So for primary prevention of you know CVD, studies have consistently reported that although statins may reduce the risk of coronary of a coronary event and even vascular related deaths, overall mortality is unchanged compared to the placebo for women. Even when overall mortality is reduced significantly but marginally in men. So basically what this is telling us is that it might reduce an event, a cardiovascular event, 
but it's unchanged when it comes to death. And Mm -hmm. doctors are selling us on this stuff because they're claiming that high cholesterol is going to lead to death. We're going to talk about that at the end. It's actually really interesting. Yes. Um, And another thing is that research has shown that up to 50% of women who go on statins develop type two diabetes later in life. Because like we talked about, the underlying issue is typically the blood sugar. We are not fixing the blood sugar by going on statins. And to be honest, in my opinion, statins are not even doing that much for the majority of the population, which we'll talk about at the end. What was the, uh, the podcast we were listening, not podcast, but in this book that we were reading last week, there was a doctor um, who wrote the book. He was a pediatrician for many mm-hmm. years and he was talking about, you know, type one diabetes, type two diabetes and yep. in children. Yeah. Like, you know, a lot. They push statins on children. children. Yeah. yeah. And in his research, he found that it only expanded life by four days if it was used from an early age. There's some stats that we have at the end of the podcast okay, good. notes that are going to talk about that too. So like we said, guys, cholesterol is vital to the body. Mm-hmm. It doesn't exist to give us heart disease. <laughs> cholesterol provides structure to our cell membranes and cholesterol is a precursor to many biologically necessary things, sex steroids, bile acid, vitamin D, certain hormones. So like we need to understand that yes, there are totally optimal ranges. Like we talked about total cholesterol should be between 170 and 240 for females earlier than 60. Like pre-menopause, that is where cholesterol should lie. Triglycerides are something that Liz and I definitely see as a major problem because triglycerides get pumped out by the liver when there's an issue, like when there is a large inflammatory issue where the liver is overburdened. And so we want triglycerides to be in a good range, like 70 to 80, um, which is a pretty tight range. According to um, the conventional medicine, they say 150 to 199 or like less than 150. Ideal is less than 100. So Mm -hmm. we like a little bit tighter of a range. There's plenty of healthy people that have high cholesterol, but normal triglycerides. So here's a really simple equation. If you want to take your total cholesterol numbers, if you have them and determine if you have blood sugar dysregulation in the body, you take your triglycerides divided by your um, HCL and your goal is to have a ratio. HDL. HDL, sorry. (laughs) HCL. HCL is your stomach acid. It's nothing to do with cholesterol, but you take your triglycerides divided by HDL and you want that um, to be 1.5 or less. So depending upon your last time you had your lipid panel done or cholesterol done, and you're concerned about this, rather than looking at that just total cholesterol number, look at your triglycerides and your HDL. Yep. So why do statins get used? Like what is their purpose and how do they function within the body? Statins work by inhibiting beta-hydroxy-beta-methylglutarol, okay, COA, basically HMG-COA, reductase, which is an enzyme involved in cholesterol synthesis. But this enzyme has other jobs, like aiding coenzyme Q10, also known as COQ10, which is a key mitochondrial antioxidant needed for cellular energy metabolism. This is why every doctor, in my opinion, should be telling clients when they go on statins, if they are going on a statin, they should also be going on COQ10 to supplement because statins basically downregulate this very important antioxidant that you can can pretty much kill your energy. And so if you do not have it, Mm -hmm. therefore, tinkering with this cholesterol synthesis process that takes place via statins can have side effects. The main ones, pain, lethargy, weakness, and myopathy in rare cases. Muscle problems are also reported, which is not surprising in 10 to 30% of people from observational studies because 
it causes mitochondrial issues. Yep. So obviously your muscles are going to be more fatigued. You have issues. This, this is where are they necessary needs to be a very thought through question. Yeah. And there needs to be more conversation around what your diet and your lifestyle looks like Mm -hmm. before you're just, you know, taking this drug that can literally, you know, cause many, many other problems Mm -hmm. in the body. Same thing that we talked about with antidepressants. Same thing we talked about with the PPIs. Like you've got to do your research. You've got to know the pros and the cons. And before you go down this path, unless like you're in a really bad place, work on your diet and your lifestyle and try to improve these things naturally. We have many clients who have improved their cholesterol numbers, improved their fasting, you know, blood glucose numbers and their A1C and gotten away from these pre-diabetes, you know, diagnoses because they've improved their diet, which plays a huge role. And so that's one thing I wanted to kind of talk about here too, in terms of like the benefits of statins that are pretty overstated. Um, Mm -hmm. So we need, just like we say this all the time with the media, we need to know and do our own research and not be swayed by these headlines and these false promises essentially. Because press releases and media reports about statin drugs often dramatically overstate their effectiveness while understating the risk because yep. that doesn't sell more drugs, right? There, there was a quote that like, I want to say very slowly because this is a quote that was taken from the heart protection study. In this trial, 10,000 people were on a statin. Now consider an extra 10 million high-risk people worldwide were to go on that statin treatment. That would save about 50,000 lives each year. That's a thousand a week. That sounds pretty compelling. Mm -hmm. You could save a lot of lives, right? It's hard to argue saving 50,000 lives a year, but that's not what the study showed. That's what the headline seems to say that it showed. But in fact, the following would be more accurate. Out of 100 high-risk people taking a statin for five years, 98.2 of them, 98.2% of the 100, will not see any benefit to their heart at all, but they will be exposed to a significant side effect and complication possibility. The 1.8% of people that do benefit will live an average of six months, max up to a year longer than those who didn't take the statin. You're taking this drug that is causing potentially tons of side effects when basically two out of 100 people might live up to six months longer. These results only apply to the people at high risk for future heart attack, middle-aged men who've already had a heart attack. Can you repeat that? Yes. These results only apply to people who are at high risk for a future heart attack, middle-aged men who have, only, who have already had a heart attack. There is little compelling evidence that statins extend lifespan at all in men without pre-existing heart disease or women with or without heart disease. Women actually, in a lot of studies, have shown no benefit with taking statins. Just No considerable benefit. Just the complications and possible side effects. So it's kind of misleading here, right? Like we have a headline that says that it's going to save lives, but according to the data, even the highest risk population didn't see that much benefit. That extended lifespan for the 1.8% was six months, maybe a year. Minimal. I mean, yeah, six months to a year. Absolutely, for sure. But one to two people out of 100 Mm -hmm. and the possible side effects for it, it's not going to sell drugs though, guys. That's not going to sell their drugs. Yeah. So this is where, obviously, we want to focus on what do we do? 
What do what markers do we worry about? And mm-hmm. what are the options outside of going on a statin? Like this is something that we see and get asked about a lot with our clients who have cholesterol that comes back like slightly high, slightly elevated. And the doctor's, and the doctor's like, pushing statins. Pushing statins or says, you know, we're gonna keep an eye on this. If this doesn't get fixed, then I'm gonna recommend that you go on statins or the clients that we do have that are on statins and are stop not, eating dietary fat. And right? Stop eating dietary fat and they're not on CoQ ten. Yes. Which is why they feel fatigued. They feel tired all the time. They have no energy. We need those antioxidants. So what is an alternative to statin drugs? Well, if you are at risk for heart disease and you prefer you know, not to take a statin, there are other ways that you can prevent heart disease naturally. And these are proven, clinically proven ways by adjusting your diet and your lifestyle. In fact, the Inner Heart Study, which looked at an incidence of heart disease in 52 countries, revealed that over 90% of heart disease is preventable through diet and lifestyle modifications. Shocker. So how do we do this? Well, what we want to do is we want to recommend, well, the American Heart Association, I should say, um, recommends a so-called heart-healthy diet, which emphasizes, get this, poor nutrient-dense foods, including industrial seed oils, whole grains, and yeah. restricting nutrient-dense foods such as red meat, animal fat, and cholesterol. Basically do opposite of that. You guys... <laughs> their their recommendation is going to make you sicker. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. I, unless, maybe if you're eating only fast food for every meal of the day and fried foods and you go down to like whole grains and remove that, you might see a little bit of improvement. But a better dietary approach, include all the things that they said to exclude. <laughs> Cold water fatty fish, so like salmon, is an amazing source of omega-3s. Monounsaturated fats, avocados, macadamia nuts, olives, olive oil, antioxidant-rich foods, colorful fruits and vegetables, and fiber. Lots of fiber. Because what does fiber do? Helps you detox and it mm-hmm. supports your liver. Supports the liver. This is also something where, you know, for clients that we have worked with, what we've seen is a low-carb higher fat or moderate fat approach for those Impacts that can handle triglycerides it. and cholesterol the fastest. Yes. So if you are really, really high and you want to do a quick turnaround, a little bit more of like a modified keto approach can be mm-hmm. helpful here for like yep. six to eight weeks. But after that, I would say you need to really make sure your gut's in a good place, that you are detoxifying properly. You're supporting mm-hmm. your liver. There's different, you know, nutrients outside of what we just talked about that can be very beneficial to your liver. Um, obviously, this is also going to include removing all the processed shit, removing all the toxins as yes. much as you possibly can. Alcohol, drugs, plastics in your home, toxins that you're getting through your hair care and your skin care, making sure that you have air purifiers in your house, like really making sure that you are trying to eliminate as many of these toxins as you possibly can and your exposures to them. We're not going to eliminate all of them, but we can certainly minimize them. And what that's going to do, it's going to lessen the load on your liver so that it can function properly. And then the last thing that I'll say here in terms of just like the diet So if you are sensitive to gluten or you're sensitive to dairy or to sugar, soy, alcohol, some of these high inflammatory foods, you need to remove them. You Mm -hmm. need to lessen the inflammation in your body because as we talked a lot about in this podcast, that LDL is high because it is attacking inflammation in the body and you also need to work on regulating your blood sugar. Yeah. And what else does this? Exercising regularly, walking, not Mm -hmm. being sedentary, sleeping enough. And managing stress. Yep. You guys, stress is such a burden on the liver because it creates so much inflammation within the body and issues within the body. So like 
live a healthy lifestyle, if you have high cholesterol or if you have cholesterol that runs in your family, look at the whole picture. Do not look at the total cholesterol number and freak out. If you have great triglycerides, if you have a good balance between LDL and HDL, remember what that indicates. Remember what you're looking at. Cholesterol is not the problem. The problem is why the cholesterol is being created in high amounts in the first place. So I hope that this was helpful and kind of shed some lights. Obviously, Liz and I have an opinion on it, um, but our opinion is backed by you know what this is actually doing. Unfortunately, a lot of drugs on the market today do not solve the problem. And in my opinion, a lot of them don't even really benefit people that much. And yeah. so are there times when statins should be in place? Yes, I think that there are times when statins should be in place. But I really want people to question what they're doing for their body when you take them and are you making changes for why that cholesterol is where in a place where you need statins in the first place because that is the underlying issue so and if your cholesterol is really high here's the thing be an advocate for yourself talk to your doctor ask them for things that you can be doing you know outside of just going on a statin like ask them is there a way for me to get off this at some point what Mm -hmm. what else should i be doing to fix the problem of why my cholesterol is high etc etc like do not just lay down and, you know, take it for all of these medications that doctors push. Mm-hmm. Challenge it. I'm not saying don't go on them, but challenge it and question it. And make sure that you are managing and controlling everything that you can control in your lifestyle and your dietary intake. Yes, because at the end of the day, guys, insulin, statins, and all of these things, they are not solving the solution for you. They are not solving the problem for you. They are band-aiding at best, mm-hmm. at best, they are band-aiding. A lot of times they make things worse. So be an advocate for yourself, fight for yourself, do your own research and be informed. Hope that was helpful. Thank you all so much for being here. If you've enjoyed this podcast, the best thing that you could do for us as a gift to us would be to take a screenshot and share it on Instagram, tag us, share it on Facebook, whatever platform that you listen, or just tell a friend, invite a friend to listen to this podcast. Um, The more that you can kind of share with word of mouth, the more people that we can touch throughout the world. Five-star reading and review on iTunes as this helps us grow and reach others. So if you have any questions, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email and we will talk to you soon. Have a great day. Thank you.